Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Have you ever thought about what you think about or have you thought about what you think about God and why you think that? And I want to read a quote to you. This is what it says. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. The reason I ask this question is because I need you to dig up, conjure up, think about whether it's conscious or whether it's unconsciously. When you think about God, what comes into your mind? What picture comes to mind? Because I think our mental image, our mental picture of God will determine inevitably whether we draw near to God or whether we turn away from God. And the way you get this mental image, this mental picture of God can be done through a bunch of different variables. Some of you, you were raised in a really religious home. So you, you think about God as being, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, you know, kind of this rule follower. That this, this kind of, these are the rules. If you break them, it's not going to be good for you. Some, some of you, you did not grow up in a religious home at all. Some of you, your education level, you know, some of you, your experiences, some of you have had really bad trauma with, with your family. And just there's a lot of things that shape when you think about God, what mental image or what mental picture comes up, and my heart today is to hope to dig this up and examine it and give you a new mental image, a new mental picture of God today. And here, here's the thing, though. I, I need you to take out your survey card. We're going to actually do a survey on, on, you know, on this, so you can take this out. And y'all pray for me. I normally preach for 50 minutes. Today, I've got 30. And being a stuttering pastor, this is really interesting. So this could go really good or really bad. So we'll see. 11, the 11.30 service might start at 11.45. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Anyway, go ahead and take this card out, and you'll see at the bottom of the back, one, two, three, four. So we're going to look at four different pictures, and whichever picture you relate with the most is kind of where you feel like your mental image, your mental picture of God is. I just want you to check that box, one, two, three, or four. And if you need a pen, lift a hand. We've got ushers. They'll, they'll get you pens if, if you need a pen to be able to participate. But I'm going to show you four different pictures that might help you like, identify of what your mental image or mental picture of God is. And it might be none of these, but if there's one that somewhat resonates with you, just choose whichever one you feel resonates with you the most. The first one's this, an umpire. So you kind of view God as being this cosmic umpire. So he's the one that calls the balls and the strikes. He's got the rule book. He's following it. He's keeping it. And you know, you, you know, and you kind of see him as, well, I, I don't want to get three strikes because if it's three strikes, you're out. You know, like, you, you know, you just, just, I just don't know. Like, this is the your kind of conscious or subconscious view of God might be of this like cosmic umpire. Okay. Secondly, though, some of you might see see God as kind of this like cosmic life coach. It's kind of this like cosmic coach, right? Like he's got this clipboard out and he's drawing up plays and he's, and, he's, and he's kind of your life coach. So you kind of follow what he's, and that's the way the Bible is to you, right? The Bible is the GPS, right? You follow the Bible and it will lead you to the right places and help you do the right things. And he's kind of like a cosmic coach. Third of though, you might see him as somewhat like this, a genie, right? <laughs> Where you kind of see God as this 
this like, I gotta appease him. Like I, I have to make sure I'm on his good side. And you might even feel like you can almost control him by how you act. And, and it's almost like, you know, he exists to serve you instead of you existing to serve him. So, so you know, so, and, and I think some, sometimes we can kind of view God like this, so that's why we want to do the right thing, say the right things, because if we don't do the right things, it could turn and hurt us, right? So some of you might see him as a genie. The fourth picture is this. You might see him as like a big cosmic therapist. So it's kind of like you go to God when you have problems, and it seems like the only time you actually talk to God is when you have problems, <laughs> because, you, because in your mind, you kind of see God as this person that takes away your problems. So you go to him, and you know he's always there, he's available, and so you, you kind of view him as kind of this cosmic therapist. So out of, the, out of those four pictures, would, would you just choose one that, that you feel like you relate with the most? And here's the thing, none of these are wrong. So the, like, none of these are like, oh my God, I can't believe you chose, chose that. Just, just choose which one you think you relate with the most. Because here's the thing, yeah, God does tell us what is right and wrong. Like, you know, like the umpire, he does give us direction like a good coach does. He, he does grant us things like a, a genie does. And you know what, God is someone that wants to hear our problems and walk us through them. So I'm not saying these are wrong. I'm just trying to get you to maybe identify, yeah, when I think about God, what comes to my mind? And what my hope in my heart is today is that no matter what, which one of those pictures you identified with the most or which, what maybe other picture this conjured up by just me asking the question, my hope in my heart today is that when you leave today, included in your mental image and mental pictures of God, this one would become a part of it or become the main one. somebody running. Now, I'll just be candid with you. My favorite movie ever is Forrest Gump. So it's hard for me not to look at that picture and say, he was running. You know, I, I just, I can't not do it. I'll just be honest with you. I just can't not do it. Like, and I do a good Forrest Gump. Hello, he was running. It's like, I, I just, it's one thing that I'm, it's one, it's one of my spiritual gifts, right? But, but, but the title of the message today is, is the resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today. The resurrection is running. Resurrection is running. And it's hard not to want to say that in a Forrest Gump voice, the resurrection was running. You know, it's like just, here's the thing, at Lifehouse, if you are here any amount of time, you know we're serious about Jesus and we're serious about fun. And we believe those two things can actually coexist, <laughs> that as you follow Jesus, we can laugh, we can have a good time, we can invite Jesus into our emotions, and we can laugh and have fun, but also take him serious as being Lord of Lords and King of Kings, who he is, right? So that's what we're going to do today. The resurrection is running. Jesus made a claim about himself in John chapter 11. The book of John, there's a series of seven statements that Jesus made about himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one he said was, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus was, this came in the context of Jesus showed up at, in, in, in this place where one of his good friends had just died. And he showed up about three or four days late to the party. He shows up. Everyone's weeping. Everyone's wailing. They come to Jesus and like, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. We've seen you raise the dead. Like, if you would have been here, things would have been so different. And Jesus, he, he you know, and what I love about Jesus, Jesus just, just didn't solve the problem. Jesus wept with him first. I think it's so important. As many of you are trying to heal from things, you understand weeping normally comes before healing. And that's what I love that Jesus models here. He wept with the people who had experienced loss. And then he went to work on doing what, what he could do. And that's when he said, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he declared, 
Because people were like, oh, well, we know he's going to resurrect in heaven. And Jesus is like, yo, first off, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the one that's going to beat the unbeatable. I am the one that's going to go down to the depths of hell and beat death. So he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though they die. Y'all, this is what the great hope of Christianity is. This is what we got. This is what we got to give. We got the hope of saying death is not the end. Death is just the doorway to really living. And that is what the hope of Christianity is and what Jesus was ultimately saying. I'm the resurrection and life saying, if you follow me, you might physically die, but spiritually you will live on for the rest of your life. And it will not just be on this side of heaven. When you get to that side, you will live with me for eternity. He was declaring not just who he was, but what he would eventually do, but also, too, what he offers to all who believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not, what, perish, but have everlasting life. This is hope. And then the cool thing is, is that this hope of resurrection life, when, when we die, has the power to then be, be utilized in this life. Because one of the things that gets us through this life is something called hope. I mean, how hard is it to live without hope? And as followers of Jesus, I feel we struggle with hope when our greatest hope is that no matter what pain we experience on this side of heaven, when we get to that side, it is just the beginning to our real life with God for eternity. But what, what Christians do and what ticks me off is they try to just hold it down here until they die so they can get to heaven. So they live as victims here waiting. I just got to hold it down until Jesus comes back or I go to the other side. And it's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be, followers of Jesus. Because we've got the hope beyond, we bring that hope to right here and right now. And because we can have that hope right here and right now, that gives us courage and boldness to put our shoulders back, head up, and live with purpose. And not just wait till we go to heaven. We can live to bring heaven to here while we are alive and on this side. This is the resurrection hope that Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the truth, and that he offers us. And it's important to know that Jesus is the resurrection because Jesus spoke directly to people's greatest need. People have a desire to live. People have, I mean, even, you know, bio, bio, biologically, a healthy body is designed to fight to live. Even whenever something happens, like your body will shift in what it does so it will live. And even Time Magazine brought up how We've got this company, it's called Google. I don't know if you've ever heard of, heard of it. Um, Google is trying to solve the death issue. Great. Let's get the Google involved. They're trying to beat death, and Jesus is like, why do we need Google? I, I've already beat it. <laughs> but Jesus spoke to our greatest need, and that is to live forever. Why? Because we're made in the image of the God who lives forever. But here's the thing, that Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. Will you say that with me? Jesus is resurrection. Hold that thought. One of the things that ticked people off the most about Jesus was the people he hung with and the people he pursued. Because Jesus claimed to be this resurrection and life guy, right? I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. Yet he would go and hang out with, in dead places with what the Pharisees and the religious people would call dead people. And they could not get in their brains. Why is this spiritual leader who says he's full of so much life, why does he go and hang out with dead people in dead places? 
This is what Jesus got ripped for. I mean, they were like, what is this guy doing? And nowhere else in the Bible is this made more clear than in the gospel of Luke. Everyone say Luke. Luke. So there's four gospels in the Bible, and gospel simply means good news. It's accounts of Jesus's life um, written from four different perspectives. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospel of Luke is written by the historian Luke, who went and gathered eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life and put together a written account of the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And one of Luke's main goals in writing the gospel of Luke was to communicate to to the world Jesus's heart for the outsider. Jesus's heart for those who in society did not have prestige, did not have status, did not have wealth, was not part of the in crowd. This was a significant part of Jesus's ministry. And Luke decides to point this out. Where even you see in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus was walking down the road, it talks, tells the story about this little guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. If you grew up in vacation Bible school, you know the songs, right? And Zacchaeus, Scripture says he was a tax collector. Now, we hear tax collector in 2023 United States. We think suit and tie, graduated with a degree in accounting, Working for the IRS, the, I'm just kidding, not corrupt, we love the IRS, haven't filed my taxes yet, so maybe that'll change in a few days. Uh, IRS, right, like we think IRS agent put together, you need to throw that out because tax collector in the Bible, what meant corrupt. You even see tax collectors and sinners were always used together in the Bible because sinners were so, like the word sinner was so attached to tax collector because they were deemed the lowest of the low, the corrupt of the corrupt, the worst of the worst. And Jesus is on his way walking and he sees a little dude up in a tree looking at him, trying to see him. And while he was going down the road, Jesus, instead of thinking Zacchaeus was trying to find him, Jesus was actually trying to find him. Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I see you, bro. I know you short. I know you Dwayne's height, but hey, I need you to get off the tree. Come down here. I love you, Dwayne. You know, we talk, can't talk about a short guy without talking about, uh, about, uh, about my guy, Dwayne. I love you, brother. But, uh, <laughs> he says, come down. I'm coming to your house today. Come into your house. And Zacchaeus is like, cool. <laughs> let's, you know, let's have a party. So Jesus goes over to Zacchaeus' house. And this is what Luke notes in verse number seven. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. Everyone say mutter. mutter. Muttering. What a word says he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Jesus here goes to his house, talks to him. And in this, part, in, 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 in this conversation where Jesus is at a party with other tax collectors and sinners, Zacchaeus' heart changes. And Zacchaeus says he wants to become a follower of Jesus. And Zacchaeus ends up saying, if I've ripped anyone off, I will go and give them back four times what I took from them. There was a sign of his repentance. There was a sign of his change. There was a sign that I'm just not making a verbal confession to follow Jesus. My verbal confession, my life is going to match my verbal confession. And you can see this. So Jesus seeks out. And in response to what Zacchaeus did and the critics that were there, Jesus said this in verse number 10. He said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. His heart is for the outsider. We see this even more as we go back a few chapters to Luke, number, to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read through most of this 
chapter because I, I need you to get the heart here. This is the resurrection and the life. Jesus claimed it. He not just claimed it. He did it. It's what he offers us. He is the resurrection. At the beginning of chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 say this, and I'll just be candid. Every time I read this, it's hard for me not to cry, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. It says, now the tax collectors, and just like I said, tax collectors and sinners, like that word is associated. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so the religious crowd, there's that word again, our favorite word, muttered. Muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The reason this makes me cry, or this, the reason this just wells up so much emotion in me, is because Jesus, like here's the thing, the church, my heart is for the church. I love the church. She's broken, yet she's beautiful. The church is a beautiful mess. If you've been in church, you've seen the beauty and the brokenness of the church. But what I love is the church is called to be the body of Christ. Literally, I don't know if y'all know this, Jesus isn't here. He's up there. And he actually said, church, you're going to go out into the world and be me. You're going to go be a physical expression of a Jesus that can't be seen. And this is talked about in, in Scripture. He created the church, filled them with the power of the Holy Spirit, and said, go and bring this message. And here's the thing. My, my thing is, 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 is this. Jesus, it says sinners and tax collectors gathered around him to hear him preach and teach. You know what that tells me? Jesus was a safe place for sinners. And do you know what burdens my heart? is how many sinners think the church is not a safe place for sinners. If the church is called to be Jesus with skin on, and the church is not a safe place for sinners to be, the church is not being like Jesus because Jesus was a safe place for sinners to gather. And I don't think Jesus' message when they gathered around was like, hey, uh, y'all suck, you're terrible, you're going to hell, have a great day. The offering plate's being passed around. <laughs> it's J-E-S-U-S on the checks. God bless, have a great day, we'll see you around. You know, it's like, I just, because I'm like, if they were attracted to Jesus, Jesus was obviously attractional. He was a safe place. Now, let's, let's just be honest, safe does not always mean comfortable. The church should be the safest place for sinners. Yet, safe doesn't always mean comfortable. I believe Jesus, there was an intriguing factor to him that when he taught, people were like, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. And they kept coming back. Why? Because he was safe, yet he would challenge them. This is what the church is called to be. This is what we try to be at LifeHouse. We say this, safety with a standard. At LifeHouse, I have not physically fought people, but I have fought for people that are like, well, what about them? And they, da, da, da. I'm like, do you know them? Oh, you don't. Okay, just check it. So you've never actually had a conversation with them. You're just looking at them and you're going to judge them. Okay, bye. You know, like, it's probably not right. But why? Because I'm, I'm fighting for them to be, for this church to be a safe place for people to figure it out. Yet at the same time, I'm not going to compromise on the standard of God's word. Why? Because I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God. 
And if, I, if, if we live our life to please people, God help us. Safety with a standard. I believe this is what Jesus was and what Jesus taught. So this resurrection life is dwelling with these dead places. They, they start to mutter. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. And what does Jesus do like Jesus always does? He tells some parables. He dives into three of them. Everyone say three. Three. He tells three parables. And what he is trying to convey to this religious crowd is his heart for humanity. Because that's what they're questioning. Why would you allow sinners? He's like, I got to tell you all my heart. So he tells them three parables. The first one is a parable of the lost sheep. Jesus tells this story. He says, if a sheep, if a shepherd has 100 sheep, one of them jokers gets out of the sheepfold and leaves the flock. You know what I'm doing? I'm leaving the 99 in the sheep pen. I'm leaving them there. I'm getting outside of the fence, and I'm going to go and seek and find this one sheep that was lost. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, my heart is for the lost, not just for the found, not just for the 99 that are in the sheepfold. I'm looking for the one. He tells this parable about the lost coin, where he says there was a woman that lost her that had 10 coins. She lost one coin, and it says she swept the house and looked and searched carefully. And I love how Jesus Jesus used those words, like carefully swept and looked and tried to find. And when she found the coin, it says she celebrated. Then he tells a story that many of us know if you've been in church, even if you haven't been in church, he tells the parable of the prodigal son the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to explain this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through, I'm not going to walk through every single verse, read all 21 verses. I just kind of want to summarize it. So there was this son that went to his father and said, give me my money. Show me the money. <laughs> he was like, I want my stuff and I want it now. And we hear that where it's like, okay, what a, what a little punk. But what he was communicating in Eastern culture, what's so funny? Me? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Didn't know I was that funny. Uh, But what he was essentially communicating in that culture was, I want you dead, Dad. Give me my stuff. Because there was no handing down until the father had passed. So he was essentially saying, hey, God, hey, Dad, love you. Give me my stuff. Hope, hope, hope you die. Thank, thank, you know, thank you. So the father, the father gave it to him and said, oh, okay, if this is what you want, go for it. And what I found is that sometimes God will give us what we ask for, though it's not really good for us, so we can see the emptiness of what we actually asked for. You ever notice that? You, God, give me this, it's the best thing, da, 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 and he gives it to you, and you realize that was pretty stupid. That's the way that can be, and I believe that's what this father was, was, was doing. But here's the thing, in the story, the father is Jesus. He's talking about himself. So Jesus, or so the, the, the younger son takes his inheritance, and it says he goes in wild living. So the way that I envision this is the movie Hangover. I would not, I've never seen it. I'm, I'm just assuming you have. <laughs> and just went wild, buck wild crazy, lived it up in Vegas, woke up in beds that he just, with people he didn't know, drinking stuff he didn't know. I mean, getting hammered, plastered, playing the game, slots, casinos, living the rough, tough, hard life. And then it says he found himself getting into a place where he was so poor, so broken, no place to live, no money. He ends up going to get a job at a pig farm, having no place to sleep. He sleeps at the pig farm, nothing to eat, and he ends up eating the same food the pigs were eating. This is where he found himself. And we're going to pick the story up there. Verse number 17 in Luke chapter 15, it says, when he came to his senses, how many of you remember that moment where you came to your senses? 
and you stopped trying to do things on your own and finally admitted, this ain't good. It says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he got up and went to his father. Now, I just want to applaud the young lad here because I can't imagine how much humility this took, how much brokenness of heart this took to realize I told my dad I wanted him dead. Now I'm going to go back to the very dad that I wanted dead and to say, yo, can you help a brother out? But then it says this, so he got up and went to his father while he was a what? Say it. Long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So they began to celebrate. I want to pause right there and let you know this parable isn't just a parable about one son. It's a parable about two sons. It's a parable about two sons because there's a parable of the prodigal son and then there is the older son in the story. And many times the prodigal son gets picked on because he's the one that messes up on the outside. And the older religious son that reacted when he saw his father give grace to the younger son that came, he become indignant, embittered, ticked off. And he actually said, dad, I've been slaving for you all these years. And you've never given me a fattened calf the way you gave him. I can't believe you would treat him that way. And the father's like, dude, all I have is, is yours. Like he was lost and he's, and he's found, but the older brother was eaten up with self-righteousness. And he was judging him and he was judging his, his younger brother. But this parable Jesus told is not to pick on the prodigal. It's actually to show us two ways we miss the good news of Jesus Christ, through rebellion and, or religion. Rebellion says my way is better. Religion says my works are better. These are two ways to miss the good news. This is not a prodigal pick-on party. Jesus was saying, let me show you. The older son was in the father's house, but he didn't have the father's heart. The older son left the father's heart, but eventually ended up finding the father's heart. He was saying they were both off. They were both off. And we have to be careful because some of you here, you're the prodigal. You're running. You're doing your own thing. You're living the life, and your slogan is, my way is better than God's way. But some of you, you're in, that, you're in that older brother religious life. You have a scorecard for everything you do, and you want to make sure you're ahead of some people because if you're ahead of some people, you're not the worst person. So you're, you're into this comparison game, and you're like, as long, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're just keeping a track of everything you do because you feel like if you have all of these things, your works will be better than Jesus' work that he did for you on the cross and subsequent resurrection. You are focused on trying to save yourself. These are two different ways of missing the gospel. But I want to dive in, and I want to focus on where we're going to close today, because I'm already at 30 minutes. God help me. <laughs> where, where, where I want to close today is I want to focus in on how the father reacted when the son was on his way back. Scripture says he ran to his son. He ran to his son. Every commentary I read on this showed the absolute absurdity of a Middle Eastern father running to their rebellious son. Many times, it, no, it was like that was not the culture. The culture was they come groveling back, begging for mercy. 
because the father had the right to kill a rebellious child. It was so looked down upon in that culture. It was absolutely insane. So the fact that the father would turn and run to the son shows us the father's heart. Told you Jesus is the resurrection. He is resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. But Jesus is also the father in this story that is running. That's how we get that the resurrection is running. There's so, there's, there's so many things we can learn from this, but there's three that I want you to walk away with today as we're talking about your mental image, your mental picture of God. The first off is this. Jesus isn't afraid of and actually loves you when you are living at the lowest version of yourself. I love how the father ran to his son when his son was at the lowest version of himself. And I love how the son starts to like, well, you know, he had this pre prepared speech. I have sinned against you and against heaven. And it's like the father says, stop it. Bring the best robe. Get the nicest coat I have. Get that big fat ring. Put that ring on him. Get some sandals on his, on his, on his feet. His toes look terrible. His feet look horrible. Right? Get the big fat calf. Kill that thing. Let's have some steaks. Come on. Let's. And it's, it's like the son came at his worst and his father gave him his best. Y'all, this is, this is the freaking good news, y'all. We come to God, that is 30 minutes, and I am done. I got a little more to go, though. <laughs> he, the son brings his worst, God gives his best. This is the gospel, family. This is what the good news is. This is what the good news is. And I don't care what version you brought in with yourself today, because I know some of y'all came in, like some of y'all were even scared to come in church today. They're like, all right, I'm going for moms, but you're like, God, I hope you don't kill me when I walk into this church building today. You thinking about lightning hitting you? You thinking about, I mean, you, you thinking about how's God going to get you, you in, you in here, and you're scared about what's going to happen, you know? Like, does God know what I did last night? You know, like you're just, you're all over the place. And I just want to let you know that, like I said, Jesus is not afraid of who you are. He accepts you just as you are, but he loves you so much, too much not to keep you that way. It's crazy to me how people will try to clean themselves up before they follow Jesus. This is not the gospel family. You come to him just as you are, and he accepts you just as you are. You bring him your worst, he gives you his best. The second thought, as he ran to him, we can see the father's passionate love for his son. I know that word passionate can be like, ugh, this isn't Hollywood movie. But I just want to let you know, yes, men, Jesus is passionately in love with you. So much so, he died for you. So much so, he went to the cross for you. So much so, he rose from the dead for you. So much so, because here's, here's, the, here's the thing. If you love something, when you lose it, you search for it until you find it. It's true. I'll never forget losing my three-year-old son at Bush Gardens. And y'all parents here, y'all got bush, bush passes. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You over in Sesame Street land. You chilling. You on your phone a little bit because you about to have, you about to send these kids away with someone else. You're like, you know, you just have a little break and they're in the little play area. They, you know, they might be in a tunnel or something. You're like, oh, they good. Well, it kind of was like, all right, we got to go. And you go in, you know, you're looking in the tunnels and you're looking around and you're like, oh. So then you go into the little like 
you know, the kind of little, little like sour area. Maybe they ran to the water, you know, you look at the water, like, don't see them there. Okay, well, maybe they went on a roller coaster as a three-year-old by themselves. I don't know. So you're looking at the roller coaster, you know, they ain't there. And then, and then the panic starts to kick in. I have lost something that I love so much. And I'll never forget the panic that Kristen and I felt. And we exuded. Where it's like, you know, you, you try to play it cool as a parent because you don't want to be that parent that loses your kid. So you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but then it turns into outright terror. And you're, you become agile as like a cat. You're, you're looking at stuff and you've got these crazy eyes. And, and I'll never forget he founding him, he was playing with ducks. <laughs> He's playing with the ducks. And as we processed the story, <laughs> Later, I thought about how I'm a flawed, sinful father and human. And I just think of what it felt like to lose one son that I love. I cannot imagine what it feels like to be the maker, the creator, the king of kings and lord of lords, the father of all fathers. How he feels losing millions and billions of sons and daughters. Perfect. And, and it just gave me a window. And I just want to let you know, like, you're, until your heart you and until you're back in the father's arms the father's home you will always be searching for a home but your heart has been made to dwell in the home of the father god that created you knows you and loves you and you will always be searching for more until you find and go back to the father's home the father's heart whether you're religious whether you're rebellious whichever way you fall the Father wants you to come on. Why? Because he is, Jesus is the resurrection that's running after, after you. Some of y'all, y'all been running from God. Y'all been running from the Father. Y'all been running from Jesus. Y'all just been running. And you've been trying to get away from him. But what you didn't realize as you were running from him, he's actually running after you. And some of y'all need to be reminded of that today. He is the resurrection. He is the life that is running after you. And here's the thing. Instead of running from him, how about you turn and run to him? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.